I got a phone call about 10 p.m., almost 20 years ago. And it was a friend of mine who said, hey, do you want to go see Star Wars Episode Three with me? I said, sure. When? He said, about two hours. It's the midnight premiere. Well, I was in high school, and so I, you know, mustered up all my charm I could, and I went and told my parents, hey, I'm going to the movies. And they said, sure. I honestly don't remember that, phone, that conversation at all. But there I was at the movie theater. There were 24 screens all showing the same movie at the same time. I've never seen so many people at the movie theater and at midnight of all times. I mean, people, Star Wars fans have been waiting for this moment for a long time. I like Star Wars, but I'm not, you know, super fan or anything. And so I was just excited to be there. I did not dress up. I mean, it's about less dressed up than this for, you know, Hawaiian shirt day. But man, people were dressed up. There was a lightsaber fight at the front of our auditorium right before it started. Uh, The guy I was rooting for did not win that fight. But, you know, honestly, I don't even remember much about the movie. I remember that experience, though. It It was a lot of fun. And you've been to the movies before. And no experience since then has been like that experience. I do know a little bit about Star Wars, even if I'm not a super fan. I have yet to help my kids become Star Wars fans. It is something I would love for you to pray with me about um, (laughs) to help them uh, learn that. But, you know, in Star Wars, there is a power at work, and they call it the Force. And, And if you have that power, you can go up against an army, one person against an army, because you have that power. And today we're going to talk about the power that we have access to. And it's not the force. It's something far greater than that. And so I want to talk a little bit about that today. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me over to 2 Kings chapter 6. Hey, I want to welcome you here again this morning. You've been welcomed a few times, but if you are new with us, we are so glad that you have been here to worship with us today. My name is Kale, one of the ministers here. And as you can tell, we're just we're a, a fun church family. We love to be together and have fun together. We don't take ourselves too seriously. We can wear um, Hawaiian shirts. Someone after first service said, yours is a Florida shirt. It's not a Hawaiian shirt. It's not enough to be Hawaiian. But, um, you know, we all know that we walked in here today, sinners saved by the grace of God. <clears throat> and so it doesn't, <clears throat> excuse me, it doesn't matter what you're wearing, but we're glad that you're here to worship with us today. We're finishing up a series today called Seeing the Unseen. And we're talking about, we've been talking about the spiritual forces at work, both for good and for evil in our world. And Tim's done a great job the last couple weeks highlighting especially how Satan attacks us, how, how Satan is at work still in our world. And I don't know about you, but I never attribute things to Satan, to, to evil forces at work. I almost always come up with a different solution, a a reason, a logical reason why things are going on in our world. And so I think this subject can be a little bit challenging for us in 2023 in our culture. We we tend to find other reasons why things are happening. We we can figure everything out, and if we can't, we can ask ChatGPT to figure things out for us. Have you played with the new artificial intelligence, ChatGPT? I call it AI, but I was trying to say the word, and that shows how intelligent I am. But, you know, it's fun. You can get on there, you can ask it anything, and I don't know if the answers are right or not, but I did ask it to write this sermon, so we'll see how it goes. (laughs) But, you know, there there are also artificial intelligences out there that will come up with images for you, 
And I, and I read about one this week where the guy, he went and he said, you know, I'd love if you could make a picture of Tom Hanks sitting in a coffee shop in New York on a sunny day. And it did. And it looked like someone had snapped a picture of Tom Hanks in a coffee shop. Now, you might be saying, are you sure it's they didn't just take a picture. And he said, well, let's change that then. Let's remove the name Tom Hanks and let's put Abraham Lincoln in there. And, he, and it did. And the conclusion that the person writing the article said is, you can no longer believe your eyes. That what you see may not be reality. And that's exactly what Second Kings is going to talk about today. That the reality that you see, you may not can believe it. Because there is something else going on. And so if you, again, have a hard time thinking about the spiritual realm, let me also just tell you this. Your Bible believes that there are spiritual forces at work. Your Savior Jesus believed that there were spiritual forces at work. Paul writes about it constantly. We could keep going, but I think those three are are enough to convince you. If they believed it, you might should believe it. And maybe you walk in here today and you are not a Christ follower. Maybe you're skeptical about all of this. But I think even if you don't believe in it, you can know that there are sometimes things are happening and you can't quite understand it. You can't quite explain it, both for good or for evil. We've been talking about the evil, but let's talk about the good today. So I love this story out of 2 Kings. And it kind of moves in three parts like a movie. So you're going to hear a lot about movies today. And I would love to see this on the big screen. Let's start in 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 8. Now the king of Aram was at war with Israel. After conferring with his officers, he said, I will set up my camp in such and such a place. The man of God sent word to the king of Israel, beware of passing that place, because the Arameans are going down there. So the king of Israel checked on the place indicated by the man of God. Time and again, Elisha warned the king, and he was on guard in such places. This enraged the king of Aram. He summoned his officers and demanded them, Tell me, which of us is on the side of the king of Israel? None of us, my lord the king, said one of his officers. But Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the very words you speak in your bedroom. Now, I want you to picture this scene for a minute. Imagine you're this officer. And you guys are you're coming up with great military plans. And every time you put those plans in motion, Israel knows exactly what's going on. You can imagine why they think there's a traitor in their midst, right? You can imagine why you would come up with this conclusion. I love that the king says, who is it? Which one is it? And I don't know about you, but I'd be quick to be like, it's that guy somewhere else, Elisha. It's not me. I know that much. I'm not doing it. Imagine that they, what other conclusion would they come up with? But somebody is a traitor in their midst. Now, I love TV shows and movies that involve some kind of traitor, some kind of undercover agent. In fact, you know, one of the most formative movies in my life, and art has this power in, in our lives, doesn't it, that it can help you uh, become a different person or, or change your behavior somehow. So one of those very formative movies for me was The Fast and the Furious. <laughs> First service did not think that was a joke. I was, they were very serious. But I love that movie, and it was very formative for me because it came out right around the time I was about to turn 16. And so there I was, thinking I was the next street racer, you know. And my car would get in, and we would go fast, racing friends. I jumped in my 1987 Honda Accord, and I just, you know, moved very slowly. (laughs) But, you know, it did change my behavior, and it did form me in a certain way. For instance, I drove too fast. I can completely contribute my first speeding ticket 
to the Fast and the Furious. And I think that they should bear some responsibility for that. And so I sent them a letter, and I have yet to hear back from them. But I think they should, they should join me in paying for that ticket. But you know, listen, this is a 20-year-old movie, so there's no spoilers here. It's, it's on you at this point. There is, there is a character in the movie that's undercover. And I do like those, but it makes me nervous, right? When someone goes undercover, I just get nervous. I'm like, what if they find out? What's going to happen? And so that's what happens in this movie. And it's, it reminds me of this story. Of course someone's undercover. Uh, there's a map that's going to be behind me here. And you can see the distance between Damascus, where the king of Aram is, there it is, and Samaria. Now, this is after the two kingdoms have split. And so the northern king of Israel, the seat of its power, is Samaria. And, and Damascus to Samaria is maybe 150 miles away. There are no cars. There is no email. There is no text messaging. There is not even a telephone you can pick up and call. So how does the king of Israel consistently know the plans that the king of Aram is hatching? How does he always know? Whenever they get to this place or that, he always knows. And it's because the king of Israel listens to Elisha. He's got a man on the inside, Elisha. Elisha has tapped into the power of God, and even almost as powerful as that is, the king listens. Now, kings are not known for listening to just anybody. In fact, oftentimes, they want to have all the glory. They want to have all the ideas. But here, the king listens to Elisha. And what you see revealed in this moment is that there is a knowledge and a power that God has that he shares with other people. And I think you've probably had an experience like this before, haven't you? Where you've shown up somewhere and something is weighing on you and somebody else says something to you. They, have you ever had that moment where someone says, you know, I don't know why, but I feel like I need to tell you. And you go, how could you know that? How could you know what's going on in my life? Or maybe it's as small as you have two choices. And, and you could go either way, but for whatever reason, you know choice A is the option. That, that God has a knowledge and a power that, that he shares with his people. And it's not always just through you, but it might be to you through another person. That God's knowledge and power is at work. We see in this story that, that he shares that for the good of his people. Because in this story, it's for protection. It's to care for the people of Israel. And now, I know you could think of a lot of reasons why you would want this power. If you could predict the future, you would love to know, wouldn't you? What I should do here and what I should do there. And the question, I think, is, is would you, like the king, listen when knowledge and wisdom is shared with you? The story continues, and this part you probably have heard before. Verse 13, go, find out where he is, the king ordered. So I can send men and capture Elisha. The report came back. He is in Dothan. <clears throat> then he sent horses and chariots and a strong force there. They went by night and surrounded the city. When the servant of the man of God got up and went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Oh, no, my lord. What shall we do? The servant asked. Don't be afraid, Elisha answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Elisha prayed, 
Open his eyes, Lord, so he may see. The Lord opened the servant's eyes. He looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. As the enemy came down toward him, Elisha prayed to the Lord, Strike the army with blindness. So he struck them with blindness, as Elisha had asked. Elisha told them, This is not the road, and this is not the city. Follow me. I will lead you to the man that you're looking for. He led them to Samaria. After they entered the city, Elisha said, Lord, open the eyes of these men so they can see. The Lord opened their eyes, and they looked, and there they were inside Samaria. So Dothan is a little closer to Damascus, and they get word that that's where Elisha is. And imagine going to bed one day, waking up, and you are completely surrounded. You were secure, but now you're surrounded, and you have been surrounded by an enemy force. And I love the question that the servant asked Elisha, didn't you know? What are we going to do? Hasn't Elisha known every step of the way where the army would be? Hasn't Elisha every single time known exactly where the army of Aram would be? Did Elisha know? I like to think that he did know. That he, he knew what would happen so the glory of God might be seen here. I love this story. That when you wake up and you're surrounded, what will you do? Now, a movie came out a few years ago that was also an awesome experience if you happen to go see it, which was Avengers Endgame. It was really fun, especially if you've been following. And I was there that day. I'm not a super Star Wars nerd, but Marvel, yes, I was there. Opening night. Made plans well in advance to be there. And there is a scene near the end of that movie. I'm sorry, if, you'd like, if you haven't seen it, maybe just for like, give me 30 seconds here. But that it looks like one of your favorite characters is surrounded. And it looks like, you know, hope is lost. But it's a Disney movie. So, of course, that's not the way it ends. And I think that's... that's a little bit of a picture of what you see here. You wake up one morning, you're like, what, what are we going to do? And I think you probably can resonate with that, can't you? That, that there has been a time in your life that situations have come about that you feel surrounded. That you feel like there is no way out. What will we do? That's the question. What can we do? And here you see the power of God at work. Because you've been surrounded. In fact, you probably have an example from your life that you did not know where to turn. There was no option, and yet God made a way. And that's what happens here. My favorite detail about this story is when the servant asks Elisha, what will we do? Elisha prays a prayer. He does not pray, God, send your heavenly armies to protect us. He does not pray, God, please show us the way out. What he prays, is that the servant would see the reality as it is. God, show him that you are already here. And church, I think we need this prayer. So we're often saying, God, show me the way out. God, solve this problem. God, help me here. And I think he wants to say, open your eyes. I'm already here. I never left you. You were never on your own. Elisha and his servant, they, they were not there by themselves. God was with them and God is with you too. I love this prayer. Open his eyes, Lord, so that he might see. This is our prayer. See, it's as if the servant has lost his focus. He, he's not looking anymore at where God may be. He's looking at what's right around him. If he has eyes to see, he'll see that the hills are on fire with God's army. And church, 
That is your reality as well, that the hills are on fire. It may seem like you're surrounded, but you're not. God is with you. God is before you. He's behind you. He's on your left and he's on your right. He never left you. He's with you. This is the power of God. Wherever we go, whenever we go, he was always there. And and often I think that if this were a movie, this is where it would end, right? This would be the climax of the story, is that look at this. You thought that you were endangered. You thought you were done for, but you weren't. But the story continues, and there's power in the fact that the story continues. Because when you have had an experience with the Almighty, it changes who you are. It changes how you live. And we see that in this story. When the king of Israel saw them, he asked Elisha, Shall I kill them, my father? Shall I kill them? Don't don't kill them, answered Elisha. Would you kill those you've captured with your own sword or bow? Rather, set food and water before them so they may eat and drink and then be sent on back to their master. So he prepared a great feast for them. And after they finished eating and drinking, he sent them on their way, and they returned to their master. So the bands from Aram stopped raiding Israel's territory. I love this, because once you've had an experience with God, it changes who you are. See, if we were writing the story, we would get revenge, right? We would get even, and there's all kinds of stories that fit that. There's all kinds of examples in your own life where you or someone else got even with another. But that's not what we have here. On the other hand, is there anything more humiliating than feeding your enemy and then sending them on their way? Who has the power here? But this detail at the end, so the raiding stopped. The conflict did not escalate, it ended. The people of God had been shown God's grace and mercy, and they passed that on to another. And the escalation ended. And this is the call of the people of God, is that we would take what we've experienced and we would share that with another. That we've been given grace and mercy. We've experienced God's love. And so we give that to others, even those who would surround us to capture us or do harm by us. And yet, what the man of God here in this story, what Elisha says is, don't respond with evil with evil, but rather let good overcome evil. I love that story. I think what you, when you, after you read the story, you can step back and you can realize a couple of things. Who is really in control here? Who has the power in this story? The king of Aram is not named. The king of Israel is not named. You have their titles, but you don't know their name. If you were writing a history book, what details would you be sure to get right? You probably would want to know their names. But the name that you have is the name of Elisha, and that oftentimes he's referred to as the man of God. What you see here is that even if you are dealing with the highest levels of government, even if nations are in conflict, who is in control? It is God that's in control. It's not this man or that man, but God is in control. And church, I think we too need that reminder. That no matter what we may see, what we may think, God is in control. The story before here is about how Elisha makes an axe head float. It's, it's a good for one person. It's a seemingly small story. And then the next story, it's governments, entire nations 
are in conflict. And it shows that God cares not only about the small things, but also the big things, that God is with you. So again, whatever you walked in here with today, God is there with you. Whatever you think you're surrounded by, God is truly the one that's doing the surrounding. I love the reminder we get out of 1 John chapter 4. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them. Because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. Church, this is your story. This is who you are. Don't forget that. Whatever it is that you may be facing, God is there. I think we have another great example of this story in Scripture. It's the example of Jesus. There's a time in Jesus' ministry that he says, you know what, I'm going to go back to Jerusalem. And they say, you can't, you can't go to Jerusalem because that's where, that's where you'll be arrested and they want to kill you. He said, you know what, I know what's going to happen. The knowledge of God has revealed to me that I need to go back to Jerusalem. And so, I'll, so Jesus went to Jerusalem. And when it seemed that as if he were surrounded in the garden, people are coming, and you know how his followers wanted to respond. They wanted to respond with violence. And he said, when have I picked up a sword? When have I done that? You think you have the power to put me on the cross. You have the power to keep me in the tomb, but you don't. And what we are called to be is, as his followers, to extend that same grace, that same love, that same mercy to other people, just as Jesus called his followers to. Jesus walked this same path, having full confidence in his Father, just like you and I should. So today you came in here and you're surrounded by something. There is a conflict in your life. There is a difficulty in your life. There is something that, that you want to be rid of. But God is there too. Don't forget that he never left you. He never forsake you. So today as we close, our shepherds and their wives will be around the room. And the promise is that you don't walk alone. That God never left you alone. You may not see him right now. You may not feel him. But the prayer that we offer today is God reveal to us that you are here. God, show us the reality of this situation, that you never left us alone. And the promise is twofold, that as your church family, we too will not leave you alone. But we have confidence in this fact today with Easter eyes. And we have seen that the tomb is empty. And we have a promise from our Lord and Savior that, that we too will not be held down by death. And so that is the confidence that we live with today. If we can help you in any way, if we can hear your story, won't you come while we stand and sing?